You think you know it all. You think you've heard everything there is to hear. But I know better. I know the truth. The truth about Jimalil Karth. There are things that if you knew them, maybe you would look on him differently. This is the origin of Jimalil Karth, half-elven warlock, servant of Dimvarga the Shapeless. There is a tavern deep in the forest of Fallen Grove. This tavern was carved into the largest gourd that ever existed in Monumi. 30 feet high, about 60 feet wide, this massive tavern was a well-visited place on the southern side of Fallen Grove. It's raining Thunder and lightning striking overhead. Approaching the dimly lit door to this giant gourd tavern, there's a figure bearing a cloak pulled down low so you can only see the lower half of his face. He approaches and swinging there next to the door is a small sign bearing the words, The Bumpkin Pumpkin. Entering in through the door with a creak as the wind and the rain blows behind him. He pulls back the hood, and we see Jim Carth standing there, in the warmth of this quaint little tavern in Fallen Grove. Jim looks around the room for an open table, anxious to sit and rest his legs after a long and arduous journey through the storm. The bumpkin pumpkin is lined with tables of varying heights at which sit many patrons of varying heights. A number of elves, gnomes, and halflings fill the room, talking jovially, laughing, having dinner and some drinks. After a moment, Jim walks surreptitiously toward an empty spot near the far left corner of the tavern. Upon reaching the table, he doffs his traveling cloak, now entirely soaked through. He throws the wet cloak across an empty chair and takes a seat. Shortly, a pretty young halfling girl approaches the table, her curly brown hair around her shoulders and an apron tied around her waist. Hello, sir. Can I interest you in a drink tonight? Yes, please. I would have some of that grape juice, the fermented kind. Oh, I see. So some some wine then. You'd like some wine? I would love some wine. Okay, well, we've got plenty of wine, so um, would you like a red wine or a white wine? Do you have any spiced wine? Something warm? Well, this wouldn't be properly a tavern carved into a pumpkin if we didn't have some sort of spiced wine, now would it? It wouldn't, indeed. I'll get you just that. Are are you okay, sir? Are you feeling all right? Ah, just cold and wet from the storm outside. Ah, yes, it's blowing in a gale out there. Uh, If you'd like, I could also bring you some bread. Bread would be nice. Maybe some hot soup? Hot soup? I would love that. What What's in your soup today? Well, we've actually got a, um, we've actually got a minestrone in the back, if you'd like some. I don't know what that is, but I'll take it. It's delicious. I think you'll like it. My studies have not yet touched on the culinary arts, although I rather enjoy them. So I'll have to make a, make a new section of my notebook on this minestrone and other soups of the world. Ah, well, uh, maybe I can get the chef to give you his recipe. Uh, he, he's a little guarded with things like that, but he'd probably give it to you for the right price. Mmm, I'll mull it over as you bring me my mulled wine. Yes, 
I see uh, what, you, what you did there, sir. Uh, um, if, if you need anything, my, my name is Rosie. Feel free to give me a holler and I'll be right over. Thank you, Rosie. On a night like tonight, with your hospitality, it means a lot. Well, okay, I'll, I'll be right back with your spiced wine and your soup, sir. Thank you. As Rosie leaves and goes about her business around the tavern, Jim sits quietly at the table, considering his plight. It has been many months now since he left Haven. After deciding to cease his studies at the College of Magic, he was convinced that he would find the right path to knowledge, to true enlightenment. But even now, after traveling half the world in the last year, had it already been a year? Jim couldn't help but feel a modicum of defeat. He reaches into his pack and brings forth a leather-bound notebook, the same notebook in which he records all of his many thoughts. He inks his quill and lowers the tip toward the paper, but before he makes the first mark on the page, he lets out a sigh and leans back, rubbing his eyes. For a moment, Jim sits there, eyes closed, sinking deeper into his own thoughts. As he does so, sinking lower and lower, waiting for that wine and hot soup, he is startled by the sound of a chair scooting up to the table. Jim looks up and he sees there a gnomish figure at his table. He has a long gray beard that drags around his knees. He has a cane that's all gnarled and twisted and he is wearing a dark green robe. May I help you, sir? Oh, hello there, sir. I just happened to see you sitting alone, looking all thoughtful. I thought I'd come over and say hello. Well, hello. What brings you to this part of Fallen Grove? Well, I don't rightly know. I've been thinking a good deal, and right now yes. I'm just trying to get out of the storm. It's coming up a bad one out there, it seems. That it does. Quite fitting. So, you just happen to be passing through here? Are you here on business? Of a sort, of a sort. See, I am a connoisseur of knowledge. Oh, interesting. I seek truths, hidden wisdom, and the secrets of the multiverse. But well, those things are hidden indeed. As Jim is opening up to this gnomish stranger, Rosie, the halfling waitress, returns to his table bearing some hot soup and mulled wine. She immediately starts when she sees the gnome sitting there, and she says, Oh, uh, hello there, Jerbin. I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, you've made acquaintance with our new friend. Ah, uh, Jerbin. Fine name, if I do say so. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and what is your name, young man? My name's Jim. Jim. Well, that's a fine name as well, Jim. It maybe not as exotic and cool as German, but it's still a good name. We Jays gotta stick together. I was about to say the very same thing. Rosie, if you wouldn't mind, how about some of that spiced wine for me as well? Rosie gives German a little bit of a sideways glance and a grin, and then she says, All right, but uh, this one's not going on your tab, German. You've got to pay for it tonight. Oh, well, you know I will. No problems there. <laughs> sure thing, German. Sure thing. She turns and heads back toward the kitchen to get some wine for Jerbin. So, Jim, you're looking for knowledge of the multiverse. Yes, and anything that may lay beyond. Beyond the multiverse? Yes. I mean, that's just an idea I've had, something I've been kicking around, but, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not just stuck to this universe. I'm stuck to this plane, so. Mm, that's true. Well... Those are some deep thoughts. I, I'm, I'm not such a man of deep thoughts myself. I, I just, I like to come by here, the bumpkin, and eat and see passers-by, learn new things. What can you tell me? You you seem like, are you, are you half-elven? That's true. I am one half-elven, one half-human. Well, I'm a gnome. I, I noticed. Well, I just wanted to be clear. Uh, I'm glad you clarified. I didn't want to leave anything uh, off the table. Well, you know, it, it's uh, it's important these days, I guess, to know who who it is you're speaking with. And so you're from Vinthaven, are you? Oh, quite intuitive you are. I am from Vinthaven. Well, I just figured uh, 
a person such as yourself studying, walking around with books and such, you're probably on some sort of a uh, mission or assignment from the College of Magic. Yes, uh, no, no. No? I like to think so, but I actually left that place behind. They're a little too slow for me. Yeah, slow. In what way? Well, as you pointed out, I am only half-elven, so my lifespan is roughly half that of those who lead and study at Vindhaven, uh-huh. the college there. So what they can master in, you know, they've got a leisurely hundred years, and they can, they can master the magical arts. Me, I don't have that. I can't. Mm. I can't spend a hundred years just savoring, learning every cantrip in and out, upside down and inside out. Uh. I want to know what underlies things. I want to know why the cantrip works, not merely how to cast it and how to make this variation and that variation. Hmm. So you're looking for deep magic then? Deep magic, but more so knowledge, although I, I have a feeling that magic and knowledge are inextricably entwined. Yes, yes. Knowledge is power, so they say. Yes, indeed. And power is for the good of all. Ah, you remind me of someone I used to know around these parts. Oh? Who would that be? Oh, he was an old recluse that lived not far from here. He was a very studious and interested man, a very curious man who spent his whole life in the pursuit of knowledge and secrets. Sounds like my kind of fellow. Unfortunately, he's not been seen or heard of for going on 50 years now. It's quite a while to be gone. Grimby Bumpus was his name. Wow, it's quite a name. Was he also gnomish? He was. He was, in fact, a gnome. We we had many a conversation here in the bumpkin, actually. Oh, do you think he actually knew things? There was anything he turned up in his studies you won't find in a typical home of knowledge? Oh, he spoke of great secrets that he'd uncovered, and one in particular that he was chasing. Story told that uh, that's what may have gotten him killed. Oh, we... Well, there's no proof he was killed. He's just been gone for so long. You know how these things go. Rumors get around. Someone goes missing long enough. People just assume they were gobbled up by, you know, gelatinous cube or something like that. Yeah, you've got to watch out for those. You get stuck in one, you just can't swim your way out. Yeah. Anyhow, Grimby, he uh, he had a large m- manor not far from here, just a half a day's journey. South, southwest from here. It's mostly rotted and grown over by now, but they say that he had great knowledge there. He was a collector of knowledge, so probably scrolls and scrolls and scrolls. I haven't been there myself. Not since he's... well, not ever. He was, like I said, a very reclusive man. They said he... rumor says he placed spells of protection around his books in his library there just to protect it. Is there a caretaker of the place now? Anyone I could inquire for visiting? Oh, no. No one that he would have trusted with something like that. He was, as I say, very reclusive in his age. The more he learned, the less he shared what he learned. Hmm, I might have to pay his old stomping grounds of visit. Ah, well, you know, maybe you can find something there, but I will warn you, rumors say that he set some booby traps. That old Grimby, he was a tricky one. Well, thanks for the warning. I'll I'll be careful. Yes, well, it's getting kind of late, and like you say, there's a storm blowing in. I should probably head home. I've got a little walk, but it was good to speak with you, Jim. Likewise. Thank you, sir, for the for the tip. You're welcome. Hopefully you will find something interesting there. I'd like to know that old Grimby was able to help someone out even now that he's gone. Indeed. Our legacy is what we know and what we can pass on of what we know. Jurban hops down off of his high stool and grabs his cup of spiced wine, gulping down the last dregs. Safe travels, Jim, he says as he turns toward the exit of the bumpkin pumpkin and makes his way out into the storm. Jim sits quietly for a moment, sipping his hot soup and thinking intently about this mysterious Grimby fellow. He looks up as Rosie comes walking close by and he signals for her to come to his table. What do you know of that Jerbin fellow? Oh, Jerbin, he's a nice fella. He, he spends a lot of time around here. 
He tell you some crazy stories. Uh, he mentioned one. Do you know anything about a a Grimby? Oh, a Grimby Bumpus. Yeah, the one and the same. He was telling me about him and his uh, fanciful pursuit of knowledge. Well, I never knew Grimby. He uh, he's been gone since before I was born. But yeah, I've heard of him. Stories say that he was a reclusive old man. Probably some people thought he had treasure up in that old house. Kids used to dare each other to go check it out, see if they couldn't find some money hold up. But from all I ever heard, there was nothing more than old, few old dusty books and a lot of rotten wood and vines and maybe a few booby traps or so they say. Well, I'm not much for booby traps, but old dusty books are kind of my forte. I might make a trek over there. Oh, well, sure. It's it's not far from here. You, you just head about south, southwest for... I don't know, maybe half a day's travel. It's a, it's in that direction. I'm sure you, you can find it. It's along the road. Oh, that's that's good to know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a shot once the storm clears. You know, a few months ago, maybe, maybe not even that long, I would have been busting out of here, running through the rain, trying to get over there. But I think this might be my last hurrah. I've had ill luck in my journey so far. I'm gonna check out this one last place, and if I don't find anything, I might pack it up and go home. Oh, um, and where might home be for you? Vinthaven, land of the elves and half-elves like me. I see, I see. Well, I, I hope that you have a fateful meeting at the house of old Grimby, whether it's a signal to go back home. Sometimes going home's a good thing. Perhaps, perhaps. Rosie goes about gathering the dirty dishes on the table, and then she returns to her work. Jim is left with his thoughts, sipping his spiced wine. Perhaps this would be just the big break he'd been looking for. Jim scribbles a few thoughts into his notebook, sipping his wine. After a time, he retires to a room upstairs in the bumpkin, hoping for a good night's sleep. Jim steps into the quiet room, quite pleased with the accommodations. He even steps over to the far wall and glances out into the night through a small circular window. The night is dark and the wind and the rain don't make for much of a view. And just moments later, as Jim lies down onto the soft bed, he drifts into a peaceful slumber. If only the wind had not been quite so strong, or the rain quite so thick, perhaps there would have been just enough moonlight for Jim to see a figure standing just below that round window staring up at him with a dark gleam in their eye. Little Jerbin stands in the middle of the storm, the wind battering him, but he takes no notice. He simply grins as the lamplight in Jim's room is snuffed out, and that grin is crowded with sharp black teeth. Jim awakes with the sun the next morning, signaling that the tempestuous storm has fled. Having come into this place with a low spirit, Jim finds himself with the familiar excitement renewed in his gut. He gathers his things, grabs some provisions for the road, and sets out from the bumpkin pumpkin, south-southwest along the road through Fallen Grove. The path is a peaceful one, and the forest is drinking in the sunlight far above the canopy of trees, now that the wind and rain have ceased. The smell of the air around him is fresh and new, mirroring Jim's internal renewed spirit. As the day passes and the road rolls beneath his feet, Jim becomes more and more excited, anxious about the prospect of new knowledge, of perhaps even a quest, something new and unknown. For some reason he can't quite put a finger on, he feels with absolute certainty that fate has led him here on this path, and that some of the answers for which he has sought after so long are just around the bend. In fact, as he's thinking just that, Jim rounds a bend in the road to find that a small pathway leads off to the right through the trees. Not understanding how or why, Jim is quite certain that this is, in fact, the path to Grimby's home. Turning down the road to the right, Jim's steps become quicker. 
takes all of his effort to keep himself from running down the path, like he would often do as a small child on the final stretch of road toward home after a long day at school. But he makes himself remain calm, telling himself that he must be prepared for disappointment. Just a short distance down this path, a house comes into view, if you could call it a house. It's built into the side of a great willow tree, and the roof is covered in its long, swaying limbs. At first glance, Jim can immediately ascertain that this was once a majestic home, at least three stories tall with pillars holding up a high awning in the front. It closely resembles a sort of plantation home, except the walls are covered in a thick bark from local trees. However, after a few moments of looking on in awe, Jim can see that this house has fallen into decay. The roof is sagging in many places, and there are holes in the walls and on the rooftop. The two large green doors on the decrepit porch are scarred with markings from many different languages that Jim can recognize, and one of the doors is tilted sideways, torn free from its hinges. Jim cautiously steps up to the door, and after a bit of finagling, he's able to push through and enter into the house. He is immediately greeted with a damp and musky scent as he makes his way through the dark, cool manor. The air is thick and sweet, with a smell of decaying wood and rotten plants. Man, this manor is sure dark and cool. But it doesn't take Jim long to find that old Jerbin was speaking true. There is a large collection of scrolls and books on shelves, all inside a great study that is easily the largest room in the house. A library of sorts. Obviously the workings and keepings of old Grimby himself. Without a moment's hesitation, Jim begins digging through the books and scrolls. The walls of this room are inset with bookshelves all around, and most of them are filled. But even that can't hold all of the books and scrolls found in this library as there are stacks of papers and books stacked even five or six feet high around the room. Jim begins filtering through them all with an insatiable hunger, overcome with excitement at this grand new discovery. Who knew what great secret awaited him within these pages? After spending most of the day searching through dozens of writings, Jim realizes that this is going to take him quite some time. And so he works until the sun sets, and then he reads by lamplight, but very carefully. Many of these books have been damaged by the elements. Mold and moss have moved into the room, and many scrolls and pages are destroyed by the moisture and rot that has set into this place. After a short night's sleep, Jim travels back up the road at sunrise. He visits the Bumpkin Pumpkin to purchase supplies for a week's journey on the road, and then he heads right back to Grimby's house. For the next week and a half, Jim does nothing but pour himself into his work. While there are a number of books by various authors, both modern and ancient, Jim finds that a great portion of them were written by Grimby himself. They are, in a sense, his memoirs. He tries to give them some semblance of order, struggling to line them up by date. But after a few days of reading, he discovers that Grimby was not just an intellectual, not just a historian. He was obsessed. And little by little... Jim was following him into that dark snare. Grimby wrote about something called their secret. Jim never even found reference to this phrase until his sixth day in the house. But from that point on, he began to find its presence more and more frequently in Grimby's writings. Their secret, their secret. Three more days pass and he finds nothing. Nothing more to tell him who they are and what their secret is. He only knows that the discovery of this secret became the apogee of Grimby's studies. After nine days at this, just poring over these books and stretching his provisions a few days farther than they should have gone, Jim came across a scroll that he had missed before. It was on an empty shelf, almost hidden from his view. Upon opening it, he realized that it had been mostly damaged by the moisture and rain. He was about to put it in the useless stack when a particular phrase caught his eye. Just at the bottom, there at the right, just barely legible, the final words of a sentence remained, and they read, A truth 
that the gods would never tell. That was it. That brought everything rushing to his mind, all that he had read from Grimby's pages. Their secret was the gods' secret. It was something that the gods themselves would never tell. But what could that be? Jim spent weeks more there in Grimby's library. He read of many secrets, stores of knowledge that the world had long lost. He read of a series of mysterious ancient structures across Monumi, places with no historical record that seemed to appear and disappear from off the world from time to time. Some structure far south, deep in the jungles above Venthaven, one high in the Elder Mountains, one at the northern reaches of the world beyond even Dimmerhole, another rumored to be resting at the bottom of the sea. Then Jim began to read about the final days of Grimby's life. The gnome had given up hope that he would find something on Monumi to answer his questions. And so he began forming together a ritual, one that would summon forth a being of unimaginable power, an ancient creature of which little was known. He would summon this being and ask it the question that he had spent his life trying to answer. What was so terrible, so enormously important, that the gods would hide it from all of their own creation? It became clear to Jim that this was what had happened to Grinby. He had completed this ritual, and it had been his end. What sort of end that was, Jim couldn't say. But in his fervor, perhaps even his madness, Jim began to form a plan of his own. He found flaws in Grimby's ritual, pieces that he had gotten wrong, what if that was it? What if it had simply been a miscalculation? Couldn't he, Jimalil Karth, do it right? Do it better? And so he did. Jim began gathering all of the necessary components. It took some time. He had to leave the house for a while, visit a number of places both near and far to gather all that he needed. And after a couple months of traveling and preparing, he finally made his return to Grimby's old wretched home. And he set the stage for his final work. He would summon this ancient and ask the question. Night had come to Fallen Grove. Inside the library of the late Grimby Bumpus, Jim was deep into his work. He had labored throughout the day, from sunrise until now, making sure that each and every component of the ritual was perfectly prepared. All of the materials were gathered and lined up in the order in which they must be added. The cluttered floor had been completely cleared so as to make room for the elaborate and ornate arcane circle that Jim had drawn on the floor with white chalk. Outside the circle is a formation of candles, perfectly aligned with the points of power from the drawing. Jim quickly flips through the pages of his and Grimby's notes, making sure that nothing is out of order, checking for any error, any mistake that could cost him his life. After minutes of checking, double-checking, triple-checking, Jim realizes that everything is as it should be. He does not notice the silence that is now settled into the night, not a toad croaking or a cricket chirping its song. Jim stands to his feet and sets himself at the head of the ritual point, and then he begins to speak the incantation. One that he'd been practicing five times a day for more than two months now. He knew it like he knew his own name. He begins the incantation, and fire lights the censer in the middle of the circle. He begins adding the components one by one, and as they are consumed, the room slowly becomes darker and darker. As he progresses through the rite, 
the cadence of his voice rising and falling in flawless rhythm, he begins to notice as the candles start to flicker out one by one. Then he hears a voice in chorus with his own, speaking the words of the incantation. It is a whispery, shadowy voice that chills him to his core. But he does not stop. He dare not stop now and risk losing his one chance to finally answer the question. He presses through his fear, chanting in perfect unison as this dark voice gets louder and clearer and the room gets darker. And then, just as the last candle snuffs out, they all burn a light once more, but with a dark, almost purple fire and the fire in the censer leaps upward with a black flame, and from that flame comes billowing a black smoke that fills the ceiling with an oily shadow. The umbral cloud then starts to spin, forming a dark, swirling symbol above him. As the shadow fills the room, burning into Jim's eyes and his lungs. It presses down on him. He pushes through the final stanza of his incantation. And then, with a final word, the black flame flares upward with a flash. As Jim's eyes adjust to the dark, he sees his guest before him. Standing in the center of the circle, no less than eight feet tall is the most strikingly beautiful woman that he has ever seen. Dressed in a long regal gown of solid black, she seems one with the darkness. Her skin, only visible on her face and outstretched hands, is pale and glowing in the night. Her long, dark hair flows down to her knees around her and on her brow sits a crown of obsidian, bearing a symbol much like the one formed above him in the oily black cloud, still spinning slowly. Hello. It seems that you have summoned me here. For a moment, Jim looks on in awe that this actually worked. It worked. Then he quickly dusts himself off, takes a deep breath, looking up at her. Yes. Please, I seek knowledge and truth. You seek truth? Yes. Well, I happen to be a purveyor of truth. Jim, isn't it? Yes. She smiles down at Jim, showing her pearly white and somewhat sharp teeth. And then she lifts a hand and stretching out from her palm comes black power. It slowly reaches forth and then lays a black shadowy hand on Jim's shoulder. And then not aggressively, but firmly, she begins to pull Jim closer. Jim, do you know who I am, Jim? A purveyor of truth. Yes, Jim. And you seek knowledge. That's correct. I can give you that knowledge, Jim. I would appreciate that. I am one of the Dracon Kelly. Blah, blah, blah. Yes, Jim. I am the Black Dragon. Dimvarga, the Shapeless. I can tell you the secret that you seek. Okay. Please? But I can give you so much more than just a line of truth, Jim. I can show you everything. What does that constitute? Creation. Yes. The very beginning. Before there were trees and sunlight and fallen grove and elves and humans and Manumi. From whence came Manumi? Mm. Well, you know the story of the gods, Jim. Surely you've heard them. Sure. But I can tell you a story of something much older than those four. Would you like to hear it? I would love to hear this. She removes the black tendril of power from his shoulder, 
Raising her hand to her angular chin, she rubs it thoughtfully and says, What's in it for me? What would you like? You've heard of pacts made between beings of great power and lesser beings, yes, Jim? I have. I've, I've heard a lot about these. Perhaps you and I could enter into a pact. She reaches into her dark gown and pulls forth a ring. She holds it forth, showing it to Jim. And she says, This, Jim, is a ring of my order. It is a special item of my own making. I will give you this ring, Jim. And with it, you will have great power. Um, you will have my power coursing through you, Jim. You can perform great feats of magic. You will be my avatar on this world. You will travel, Manumi, and you will uncover the greatest secrets that this world has to reveal. You will do so at my bidding, but this will be our little secret. Ooh, secrets aren't really my jam. <laughs> I understand that, Jim. I'll tell you what, Jim. I will give you access to the knowledge of the universe, of, dare even, the multiverse, Jim. Planes beyond this one. If you will but relinquish your will to me, Jim. Um, be my servant from time to time. What what sort of bidding would you have me do? Make no mistake, I desire knowledge, but it's not it's not for its own sake, it's for the sake of the good of all. Yes, Jim, and once I have accomplished my own goals, for I do need the help of people such as yourself in doing these things, for I seek something as great and pure as knowledge, Jim. I seek justice. I'm a fan of justice. From time to time, perhaps once every few decade, every half century, I may call upon you, Jim, for the use of your body as a vessel for my power. Uh, I will give you power like you've never known, Jim. And together we will do great and mighty things. And you can tell your story. You can tell the world the secrets that you have uncovered once we are done. Or you can leave. You can go back to Venthaven. Go back to your mother and your father. Go back to that quaint little school. Learn what you can in your short life and waste away. But Jim, if you will but join me, I can give you not only knowledge, not only power, but long life. Okay. We'll see. This is all very menacing, but I am a fan of the knowledge. And the power and long life, those are great for the pursuit of knowledge, which is for the pursuit of the common good. So, just just so we're clear, I'm not going to do anything evil while you're possessing my body, right? Oh, Jim, you won't be doing anything evil. You won't be either, right? Of course not, Jim. So we have a deal? The knowledge of the multiverse, you say? Yes. Yes, Jim. And all I have to do is your bidding from time to time. Yes. And nothing naughty. No, of course not, Jim. All in the name of justice. Always. Right then, that moment, Jim teeters on the edge of a decision. One that could change everything about his life, for the better or for the worse. Unsure that he can trust this being, this dragon, and yet more enticed by the prospect of this great knowledge, Jim concedes. Justice I can get behind. Okay, I'm naive. Here's my hand. Put the ring on it. She reaches forth and takes Jim's hand, and she slides her ring onto his finger. Looking down, he sees on his hand a ring of black obsidian. On this ring is a purple stone held in place by two claws on either side. He holds the hand up closer to his face to observe it, and he can see deep within the purple stone the same symbol of swirling darkness that the cloud is forming overhead. 
and as he observes it, the ring fades and disappears. Oh, it's gone. So long as you bear that ring, Jim, you and I are eternally bonded. It's gone, though. And as long as you wear that ring, Jim, no one will know my name. No one will be able to find my name in the depths of your thoughts. Will I know your name? Only when I need you to. And then suddenly, out of her hands come more of those black arms of shadow. They fly upward and then strike down into Jim's shoulders like two vicious serpents. Grasping tightly onto him, those oily hands press him down onto his knees before her. And then he feels as sharp claws dig into his back, pressing him down, down, the black cloud begins to spin faster and fill the room again, and as he feels her black power mixed with the cloud, pouring into the holes on his back, she leans down close, and he hears as she whispers into his ear, We're going to do great things, Jim. Great things. Jim wakes the following morning, lying on the floor in the old home of Grimby Bumpus. His head is throbbing and his body is sore, assumedly from sleeping the night away on the hard wooden floors. As the morning fog is leaving his mind, he begins to look around frantically, realizing that he must have fallen asleep at some point during the ritual. At least, that must be it. His hands over his eyes, blocking the bright sunlight shining in through the open window, Jim realizes that, try as he might, he can't recall much of anything about the previous night. He remembers setting everything up for the ritual. He remembers beginning his incantations, but then nothing. He must have fallen asleep in the midst of it all. And as he stands to his feet and stretches the pains out of his back, he notices that none of the candles have been burnt through, which is odd. Did he blow them out before falling asleep? He must have. Regardless, Jim finds that he is ravenously hungry. And it's then that he realizes that he hadn't eaten the night before. In fact, it had been quite some time since he had eaten a decent meal. And so it was that Jim set forth from that old house, took a few pages and scrolls with him, but without even realizing it, Jim had decided that he'd found all that he could in this place. He hadn't gotten the answers he'd been looking for. In fact, it seems like he hadn't gotten much of anything at all. But he felt a newfound determination that the answers he sought were indeed out there, in the world, not locked up in the decrepit library of a hermit. However, Jim soon discovered that things were not exactly as they seemed. As he set out onto the road, he found that certain spells and cantrips that he'd struggled to master as a student now came quite easily to him. In fact, he was suddenly more adept at the arcane arts than many of his classmates were when he last saw them at the College of Magic in Benthaven. He could cast powerful spells with little more than a simple incantation, and it felt good. It was unlike anything that he'd experienced before. His magic did not seem to flow from the words or even his implement, the spells seemed to flow out from within himself. As Jim continued his trek across Manumi, he found that bits and pieces, glimpses of his memories were returning. While he still couldn't remember much about that fateful night, he was now certain that he had, in fact, entered into some sort of pact. This became even more apparent to him whenever he would cast any spell that required a significant amount of power. For when he would do so, it almost felt as if someone or something was leaning up over his shoulder and whispering dark things into his ear. Some month or so after Jim left the house of Grimby, he stopped for the night and set up camp along the southern road toward Venthaven. He was halfway through the tropical forests that hedged the realm of the elves away from the forests of Fallen Grove when he settled in by a small fire for some rest. He was returning home to visit his parents. He couldn't wait to sit and tell them all that he had learned. And even more yet, 
He couldn't wait to show them his newfound power. That night, as Jim lay sleeping, a blackness settled over his campsite. Soft and quiet, the shadow crept up from behind Jim's back. It reached up over his shoulders and placed one wicked hand over each of his eyes. The whispery tendrils of shadow then dissipated. But as they did, Jim's eyes snapped awake. All the creatures nearby in the forest suddenly fell silent as Jim sat upright with a grin, scanning the camp with eyes of solid shadow. Five days later, there's a knock at the front door of a small cottage on the southern outskirts of Venthaven. Inside, an elven woman lays down a book she was reading and rises from her sofa chair to answer the door. I wonder who'd be calling at this hour, she says to herself as she makes her way across the den. It was an hour before sundown. She and her husband were enjoying a peaceful evening. She reading a book, he out back working in the gardens as he was wont to do of the evening. She opens the door. But at first she can't make out the figure standing there in a dark traveling cloak, as the gleam of the low-hanging sun blinds her for just a moment. The figure then shifts a bit to one side, and suddenly she recognizes a familiar face, that of her son, Jimalil. Her son was home. Jimalil, she cries, throwing her arms around his neck, elated to see him for the first time in over a year. Jim embraces her in turn, but... He doesn't say a word. Jimmy Lil, please, come in, come in. How, how have you been? She turns, taking his hand and pulling him inside their home. She steps toward the sofa chair, picking up an empty plate on the way, wishing now that she had tidied up a bit before this afternoon. Oh, Jimmy Lil, your, your father will be so happy to see you. Poor Jim. While he'd not faced much in the way of persecution for his heritage, he had abandoned his studies in favor of a more adventurous life. Her son, her only son, the apple of her eye. From the very moment that he was born, all she'd ever wanted was to give him the life he desired. To help him find his purpose and fulfillment. Life was tough for Jim. It had broken her heart when he had left them for the unknown, set out into the world alone, all in search of some unknowable thing, some unattainable thing, all in a rush to beat death. But the pain of that separation was nothing, nothing at all compared to the pain she felt right then at that very moment. Turning to Jim, she looks up into his cold, black eyes. Dropping the plate she held to the floor, it shatters into a dozen pieces, one glancing off of her right ankle, leaving a small trickle of blood in its wake. <laughs> Jim O'Neill? Her hands, shaking, rise up then to her stomach where Jimalil's dagger is now sheathed into her navel. Jim! She staggers back, tripping over the sofa couch. She crawls toward the back door, toward the small garden where Jimalil's... where her husband is tending to his flowers. He, he loves those cursed flowers, she thought. Each movement an explosion of pain. She knows now that she's going to die. But why? Her son. Why? She rolls over to see Jimalil, her only son, standing over her. He's grinning as he takes in the visage of her final moments. But she notices as everything starts to fade, his eyes are not his own. 
Outside, Jim's father is knelt down, pulling weeds up from around his orchids. These are some of the best he's ever produced, if he may say so himself. Honestly, it's refreshing to see his hard work paying off. He pauses for just a moment to wipe the sweat from his brow, which is now running freely down into his beard, when he stops at the sound of footsteps approaching from behind him. Javelin decided to come and lend a hand after all, my dear, he says, turning to greet his wife. But instead, he is shocked to see his son, Jimalil, standing there in the dimming light of evening. Son, is that you? Perhaps it was his fading vision, which wasn't quite what it used to be. Or perhaps it was that dimming light of evening setting in. Regardless, as he stood to his feet, dusting off his apron, he never saw the red of Jim's blade as he pulled his son in for one hearty, final embrace. Four weeks later, Jim wakes in a comfy room in the city of Brightport. At first, he's disoriented, confused. He's certain that he'd been in the forests above Venthaven just the night before. But after a moment, he realizes that th that had just been a dream. It must have been a dream. It was raining again outside. These tropical storms just seem relentless this time of year. At that particular moment, glancing at the window, making sense of his surroundings, he's reminded of his father. His father would always comfort him in the storms. God's oh, how he misses his father. Choking back his tears, Jim sets to gathering up his things. Had it really been two years since his parents had passed? He remembered holding his father's hand as he took his last breath, fallen victim to the aging of humankind, as all eventually do. And his mother, his poor mother, how she had waned after his father's passing. Her spirit just couldn't rise up without him there. It was their untimely passing that gave him the final nudge to set out in search of knowledge, to leave all of that behind. He doesn't know what he was thinking before. He couldn't return to Venthaven now, not with the ghost of his loss still hanging over that place. And so Jim shoulders his pack, unsure why he's so overcome with emotion. His heart breaks with the loss of his parents as it did the day he said goodbye over two years ago. And as he sets out from the inn in Brightport, he thinks for a moment that there's no knowledge in all of Manumi that he would not trade for one more day, one more happy day on the beach, or helping his father with his garden, or cooking with his mother in the kitchen. Just one more day. And so the rain falls on Jimilo Karth as he sets out from Brightport. Unwittingly, Jim continues his aimless journey across Manumi. Years pass, but time seems to slow to a crawl for him. With no one left to tie him to Venthaven, he wanders the fullness of the world without worrying of home. Jim meets people everywhere he goes, but never does he make more than a passing acquaintance. From time to time, he links up with a traveling party, some zealous group of adventurers, but never for very long. More than once, Jim makes new friends on the road, only for Dim Varga to step in and, shall we say, set him back on the right path. Each time, Jim wakes up some hours, days, weeks, or even years later, none the wiser. His draconic patron sifts through his memories, like someone walking through an orchard, picking out the ones that she chooses, leaving him with only the pieces that are of no consequence to her. Without ever a thought, Jim begins to pass away years, decades, and even centuries with great gaps in his memory. But Dimvarga, 
in her wicked cleverness, leads him along as the good little pet that he is. More than half a millennia from Jim's fateful meeting in the Bumpkin Pumpkin, he steps out of a cavern somewhere deep in the Elder Mountains. Clear now of the stone enclosure, he strides forth into an alcove between two peaks. The sky is dark above him, a new moon withholding the comfort of pale light. As Jim walks forward, he navigates his way through a small arena of ruins. Broken walls and crumbled stone line the area. Continuing forward, Jim sees on either side the sentinels of his master. They're silent, gazing on him with burning eyes, some black, some red, others green or yellow. Above him, wings flutter as more of these draconic creatures fly overhead. As Jim approaches the center of this crater-like ruin, he finds his master seated upon a sort of black altar. In the darkness of night, she almost seems to be sitting on nothing at all. Jim steps forward with a slight nod and a fearful glance at two more of these strange reptilian creatures, much larger than the rest. They stand on either side of Dimvarga. One is winged, its red eye gleaming at him from the darkness. The other is shrouded in shadow, its arms crossed with one hand on a long black blade at its waist. Dimvarga looks up at him with a grin. Jimalil, my trusted servant, what have you brought me? The elf, he's on board. He's eager. Mm, he is traveling toward Fallen Grove as we speak. Yes. I mean, he might be camping right now. I don't know, but as his... Yes, yes, Jim, I know. All right. It seems like we're finally getting close, Jim Aleel. Finally, we're so close. This elf, he can take us to it. To the stone. The stone, and... Then I'll know? Then you'll know, Jim. And what's the stone? Ah, uh, it's the heart, Jim. The heart. Soon, Jim. Soon all will be revealed, and our pact will finally be complete. All these years of working. Go, Jim. You must help them on their journey. Of course. Befriend them. The paladin, he could prove a problem, but we will need him in the end. Will I, will I remember anything this time? Oh, bits, pieces perhaps, but you know how it is, Jim. You are no good at keeping secrets. That's true. But whenever we get there and we get the stone, everything will be good then. Well, the pack will be complete. Yes. And, and we'll, be able to, we'll be able to help people. Oh, yes, Jim. We will set everything right. Justice will reign. Throughout the land. Throughout the multiverse, you said. Justice. Yes. Go, Jim. Time is short. Soon, we will finally have what we need. Jim turns under shadow of darkness and makes his way back toward the crevice in the mountain. Winged creatures screech in the darkness as they take flight exiting this crater and making their way south toward the mountain pass. They have dark work of their own. Jim travels through the cavern and then out onto the mountainside. As he heads west, down the slopes toward the northern road, he is accompanied by a dark band of her twisted servants. Finally, they reach the road, and Jim pauses as he looks toward the south. His eyes belay his reluctance. He is both fearful and uncertain about his role in this great game. But then, as Dimvarga's wicked, draconic servants gather around him, his eyes roll back, solid shadow. His mouth splits in a toothy grin as he gives them a quick glance. And then, with a sweep of his arm, 
He heralds them off into the darkness ahead, off toward the mountain pass. As they head out of sight, Jim sets his feet toward the crossroads, a small settlement named Foothill Village. And as his footsteps fall on the path ahead, the shadow over his sight fades, and he leaves behind his fears, his uncertainties, and especially his memories. This has been Make Believe Heroes, the secret origin of Jimalil Karth. Make Believe Heroes will return next week with the premiere of season two. 